This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 222 of the Yellow Airport. I'm Stefan Butzko, your host for this episode where we get to talk about a Borussia Dortmund home victory for the first time in 2018. And for that, join me once again, Lars Polman. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing very well myself. Thank you. Uh, are you celebrating Carnival on the Rosenmontag? No. No, okay. Figured as much. Also here, Konstantin Eckner. Did you dress up? Uh, no, it's not my, not my thing. Okay. And I, Matthias, I, I, I don't mean dressing up. I mean the carnival. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not my thing either. Uh, Matthias. Yes. Did you dress up or no? You're 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 not even anywhere close Cologne or Düsseldorf or the area. Well, I mean, so. as a Münsteraner, it's technically something we do a lot. But uh, being in Colorado. I'd be judged rather oddly. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you thought you wanted to dress up as a big, I don't know, lion, cow, tiger. I don't know. Anywho, um, That's we an have... interesting <laughs> choice of costumes. Lion, tiger, <laughs> cow. I, I, I don't know. I uh, got suggested to dress up as a big penis today by a colleague of the Ruhrnachrichten. So, uh, <laughs> Just be happy it's not a, a small penis, Stefan. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's trying to tell you something. Um, I think we should just move on to our patrons. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to make this segue now, but uh, this episode will be sponsored by Henrik Svensson and Joshua Ling. Thank you guys for pledging in. And uh, with that, we can turn our attention to the 2-0 win over Hamburg. And I may add, I got a prediction right for once. Isn't that great? Um, Matthias, I watched the game again, or at least the first half because I couldn't really bring myself to watching the second half. And I already la asked Lars about this, and he couldn't really help me out. So maybe you can do that. And I right now do not really see any sort of plan or concept of how Dortmund want to create any sort of chances when they have the ball, like by themselves, without, you know, factoring anything like coincidence. So maybe you can help me out there and tell me about Peter Stöger's plan, what to do in possession with the ball. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Um, I think uh, right now the plan is get the ball to Kagawa uh, or Götze, depending on who's playing, and hope for the best. So at least that's what it looked like. And have your wingers run around a lot and in hopes that something happens, like you said. Um, Royce, you know, that's a little unfair maybe i mean marco royce granted a bit rusty but uh he he brings in a little more creativity than say schuler or pulisic or honestly most of the any of the other wingers because he's not your traditional winger per se but uh barring that that seems to be pretty much the plan 
that I could see. Like you said, there's there doesn't seem to be a signature style. I was actually talking to somebody about this over the weekend, is the lack of signature. Like, when you had watched Dortmund in the past, whether it was under Tuchel, whether it was under Klopp, hell, even under Bush, you kind of knew what was going to happen. They had a signature style of playing, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, it was there. Under Stuttgart so far, I'm not quite sure what that is, because the pressing seems odd or non-existent at times the opposition you just let them run at you and then when you have the ball it it just I don't know it just doesn't seem coherent at the moment but maybe I'm too negative I don't know um before we talk about individual performances and the comeback of Marco Reus um Maybe, Konstantin, since you're the editor of Spielverlagerung, can maybe shed a little bit more light on the subject and help me out here to decipher Dortmund's concept plan or whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, I could if there was a concept. <laughs> um, well, that's exactly my question here. Is there one? No, not really. Uh, it's, it's comes basic down to, um, pretty standard basic pattern. Um, and build up, which is something you, I mean, which, which, which is something, uh, plenty of teams in the Bundesliga and across Europe, uh, play. Uh, you know, you, you play wide, uh, in the first line, you, you get your fullbacks involved, you try to, uh, get back to one of the center midfielders, uh, Kagawa in particular, this, uh, in the, in the recent match against Hamburg, because he was the second, um, the more advanced center midfielder, um, also on the left side. So you got Toyan and Kagawa there, um, since Toyan, Seems to be, um, a, a bit more involved in the, in the initial buildup. Um, at times, at least, uh, it, it changes sometimes. Um, so, um, yeah, and then you, you either play a narrow, um, attacker line, uh, which, ha- which happens, especially with, uh, Pulisic on the right. And, uh, if you got someone like maybe Jaden Sancho on the left, you can play, you can do that. Uh, with Schurler on the left, of course, um, he's more someone who tries to stretch the field. So, um, which, you know, naturally causes, uh, a, a plenty of long line passes between Tolian or from Tolian to Schiola. Um, and then you're stuck somewhere on the side. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, then, I mean, play and pray, I guess. Um, just cross the ball or, or try something else. Um, I don't even think that worries. Um, as the number 10 is, uh, is particularly, uh, is his best role, um, since he's the, um, the, what, what would I call it? Um, one of the best half space triplers, uh, in, in football. So, um, usually you would, you would have him on the left side, for instance, and Pulisic on the right. So have you have a little bit of a narrow, um, attacking line, uh, which helps you, um, you know, and, and, and you got, you got open spaces for Tolian and Piszczek to advance, but, uh, it didn't happen against Hamburg where it's played in the middle. Um, he is still, he's, he does still well in the middle, um, just because he is great at football, uh, and, and, and especially in the attacking sense. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, uh, Royce on the left, uh, could, could help. And, um, Kagawa, Götze, Weiger as a midfield triangle should also do well, but there's not really a plan right now. It, it's just, you get all these, um, individual pieces, all these pieces who are, create individually and um th- there's not much of a of a collective um system you can you can right now you can see it's just um yeah it's it's what i'm what i what i said when i when i started um it's basically just basic standard uh build up play and um it comes down to dortmund being the superior side 
on an individual level, um, not particularly uh, tactically. Although I have to say, I mean, Hamburg, um, they are the, the most passive, the most defensive side in the Bundesliga. So, I mean, I, I don't want to give them any credit. Um, they they played horrible, um, had um, half a chance at, uh, over 90 minutes. So congrats to them for not doing anything. Um, but uh, it's, it's still, uh, I mean, Dortmund would have more fun uh, to play in, a, in a, a bit more of an open duel against a team who is willing to give up some space here and there to, to you know, exp- let some zones be exposed, but um, against a team that basically defends with uh, a back five, uh, two holding midfielders um, and two three strikers who are just you know focused on counter attacking uh with even Aaron Hunt being the being the man marker for Kagawa that's uh, that's not something that's really um playing into uh, play uh, doing Dortmund any favors right now no that's correct i mean the <laughs> when i rewatched the game the very first attacking move of Dortmund was uh, the ball went i think from Akanji to Pischek and then Pulisic came toward Pischek for like a couple of meters and at some point his run towards the goal line more or less like he turned around that was triggered and then Pischek played the pass but he completely overhit the ball and uh, there would have been some space for Pulisic to run in but of course the ball went out for a goal kick so that sort of broke down and uh, that to me also more or less summed up the entire game in a nutshell a little bit um Dortmund's best chances more or less always came from either coincidence or from transition play which uh, may be not too bad against the next two opponents in Atalanta and Gladbach where I assume Dortmund will get a little bit more space as uh, you already alluded to Konstantin um Lars the big narrative or narrative coming out of this game is of course Marco Reus doing his comeback and starting from the beginning, how did you see his performance? Was decent. I wouldn't say it was great. I think people have too low standards for Marco Reus comebacks nowadays. He has so much experience coming back from lengthy injury absences that it's not overly surprising to see him do relatively well early on. I mean, he's been through this so many times that he knows uh, what he needs to do. And also, uh, the club, maybe not Stöger because he's not been here for too long, but People at the club know uh, how much time Reus needs to be in playing shape and, and not just be able to play a few minutes, but be able to make a difference when he comes back. So uh, we can expect more from him in the next few games, but obviously the the player he represents uh, for Dortmund as a club uh, or and in the dressing room, but also, you know, from a outside perspective is so hugely important uh, for obvious reasons he's probably the the most well-known player left in Dortmund's squad after uh, Aubameyang leave, uh, left for Arsenal in the winter uh, that that alone makes it important that he's back but uh, in terms of his performance against Hamburg I think uh, others could have done what he did uh, in that game but I mean they didn't need him really to do too well against Hamburg. They are going to need him in, in a few more bigger games if he's going to be available for them. Yeah, nevertheless, he uh, was leading the team in key passes, created three chances, and with that one uh, that led to the goal, um, the first one, was a good pass. And uh, I think there, there was 
before his substitution sometime in the second half was another chance that he set up where uh yeah he I think beat two players and then passed it out to Schule and then Dahu and Pulisic both missed on the rebound basically. Um so overall you can already see that he does make a difference. Um and uh, what I found interesting that he said after the game that the number 10 position is actually his favorite um position but also admitted that there are several other players in the Dortmund squad that want to play on that position. I asked Peter Sugar today um whether he can uh, or how how likely it is that Royce and Götze play together on that position on uh, like double 10 or double 8 and he said yeah well if the transition the backwards transition works out because uh, you know he would unleash them pretty much in in their positional discipline I guess then uh, you know he thinks that's that's something that can work out. Matthias, I personally think that's something that uh, should definitely be tried. How do you see that? Or do you think it's maybe smarter to have Götze and Kagawa on the double N8 or 10 and then Royce out wide? Well, I think given the, the types of players that Dortmund have at their disposal, I like seeing Royce play in that number 10, kind of a, a freer role, uh, adds that creativity, doesn't isolate him on the wing. Uh, and we have plenty of wingers out there that that could play i mean when everybody gets fit ideally um you have a plethora of options on the wing and putting royce then in that number 10 role behind the striker i think opens up more possibilities uh for arguably your best or joint best player you have on the team um when him and Götze are fit I'd say they're about equal um we haven't seen that that often unfortunately but I do like seeing him in that role just because he doesn't get isolated um in in previous systems say under under Tuchel it was less of an issue because you also had other players playing in different ways than a very I'm not going to say simplistic way that Stuttgart likes to play but definitely a simpler way so I think it, it can only be advantageous to also help in the creative department. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Lars, um, we definitely also have to talk about Dortmund's defensive shape. And I really have to say I'm not too impressed overall. How, you know, even even if Hamburg didn't create too many chances, I think there were enough spaces that other team can create something with. Hamburg just lacked the quality to do so. And I'm still very worried uh, how Dortmund fare when they actually face skillful opponents. And um, that being said, I was very impressed with uh, Dortmund's so-called Restverteidigung, the last-ditch defending in the box by both Toprak and Akanji. How um, did you see Akanji's debut and uh, Ümer Toprak in this game? Yeah, you just said the magic word Restverteidigung, which we've tried to explain to our English listeners before. It's basically, you know, the cleanup job uh, for mostly center backs when, you know, the organized team defensive mechanisms maybe have failed or they're just done. And, and it's basically you against the striker, clear up the situation. It's something that Tupac uh, really thrives in. I think it's no stretch to say that he and Kagawa have been the main, uh, uh, beneficiaries of the coaching change. I think, uh, Tupac has probably been the most consistent, uh, center back. Uh, Dortmund have had in a long time, presumably since Marcus Hummels have left. I think, uh, nobody really played this well for this long, uh, or this, uh, many games in a row. 
over the last, uh, particularly 18 months, I would say. So that's certainly encouraging. As for Akanji, uh, he had one horrific misplaced pass that a better team would probably have made him pay for. Other than that, he was really solid. Um, he showed some things that Socrates just doesn't do. You know, he stepped up a couple of times, tried to break more lines with his passing. I'm really excited to see that partnership. Uh, p presumably, I would think that that's the thing that we are going to see more and more, and particularly from next season, because I still think Socrates is probably off in the summer. So with them getting their feet wet together for the first time uh, was quite nice, even though we always have to come up with the caveat that Hamburg are by far the worst attack in the Bundesliga. They don't have anyone who should be able to trouble uh, Dortmund's defense. And I would actually agree that from a from a <laughs> yes. from a team tactical standpoint, Dortmund didn't defend too well. Uh, I think uh, both fullbacks didn't have great games, even though they didn't make any big individual mistakes. But there were some spaces teams could have uh, a team could have exploited. But Hamburg are just so dire in terms of attacking talent uh, that that never happened. But against better teams. Uh, it's not going to be the case that you can deal with everything just by defending well uh, in terms of Restverteidigung. I think it's going to take more of a, a group tactical effort from the entire team to be more solid in the back. And that also obviously has some effects on uh, your build-up structure and all that. I definitely think that you're 100% right, Lars, uh, as almost always. Um, Konstantin... Akanji actually said that uh, he couldn't play as many line-breaking passes as he usually does. Um, for for once, that I guess has to do with him being the new guy in the team. On the other hand, I sometimes get the impression that Dortmund, that the midfielders just don't move enough. And with that, I would also address Julian Weigel because back in the day one of his biggest strengths was uh, to move out of the cover shadow and to offer a passing option even if he was sort of marked uh, right now that is something I completely miss and uh, he is right now not really playing well um, do you think that Akanji not really finding the passes that he you know is used to playing has to do with Dortmund's movement of the ball when their center backs are position uh are in possession yes and no um sure uh have um two advanced midfielders let's say kagawa and Götze. then it's uh yeah essentially you should of course or you should have them overload one half space and um that creates um some di uh, dynamic automatically uh i think right now weigel's basically his duty is to stay in the middle and tie up one or at best two oppo uh, opponents, um, which, as you could see against Hamburg, uh, happens a lot. And uh, he tied up in, in, in plenty of situations. He tied up two. Um, lack of movement, yes. Uh, but I mean, playing—you uh, know—you have to play the situation itself and um, just look at the first goal uh, before Pulisic uh, crosses the ball. And, and delivers a somewhat beautiful uh, assist to uh, Bacuai. Uh, it's Piszczek, who's in the middle. And, you know, so he plays the numbers game there. Then the ball goes wide. P Pulisic gets the chance to cross. 
1-0 Dortmund. So there is movement sometimes. Your precision switches are there. Um, it's just not as consistent as it should be. Um, if you do precision switches in build-up all the time, it becomes pattern as well. I mean, that then, uh, you know, the opponent, that there are only so many precision switches and overloads you can do. So you have to you have to play your cards right. You have to do them um, here and there, but not all the time. Um, and as to Weigel, um, I know why he stays in the middle. I know what uh, the thinking behind his current role is. Um, basically, he has to stay there um, in case Dortmund turns the ball over quickly, um, so he can stabilize the center and, um, you don't have one or two, op- uh, strikers unmarked in the middle. Um, so Weigel has to stay there just because the team, maybe Stöger, doesn't have the confidence, uh, in his, in his players in general, in the build-up abilities of his players in general. Um, yeah, that, still, that would actually be my next question. Still, Do you think yeah. that, that um, for Weigel to be at his best, that he needs the maximum confidence of his teammates, that, you know, they play the ball to him, even in, in tight spaces? Um, no, he's not that that well-equipped in tight spaces. Hasn't Has never been, and I, I don't think he will ever be uh, like the player who gets the ball in tight spaces. Um, his, his best phase, his, uh, his best few months at Dortmund... So far, I've been the, the first, uh, I don't know, four, three, uh, four or five uh, under Tuchel. And just remember back then, it wasn't like he was involved heavily in every play. It was more like, as well as more him being like the, the uh, you know, the backup option, basically. Um, Dortmund attacked through the left side, uh, through Schmelzer and, and Hummels Schmelzer and, and uh, I think Royce. Um, if he wasn't injured, I'm not sure. I don't think he was, but. <laughs> who knows? Um, and, and Weigel was the backup option. He was protecting Schmelzer and Royce on the left side because he moved there, he stayed behind. So if they were stuck, he got the ball and maybe um, played a cross pass to Piszczek. Uh It wasn't like he was the play the playmaker who was like determined every play. It's it's not it's not that, and he never will be that kind of player. Um, he's more like your your safe option. Uh, or someone who can, with you know, with his tactical understanding, and of course, probably with uh, Stöger giving him um, his his tasks, what he has to do, um, that he has to tie up um, opposing pressing play, the, the pressing players, the first pressing line. If he ties them up. There's there's open space for Toprak and Akanji, and Toprak has has shown in the past, the past three months or so, that there are plenty of situations where he had the chance to move, to step up. He didn't. At for you know three three months ago maybe two months ago but recently he has stopped uh, stepped up uh, increasingly and uh, it has helped his his game tremendously and um, I think Akanji is the same um, it's just, it was the same with Hummels sometimes it's not like there's there's pl- uh, plenty of open space when a, a center back tries to step up but um, in in case Tiger uh, Weigel ties up um, the, the one. Uh, center forward, the one opposing center forward was close to Toprak or uh, Akanji, then uh, Akanji or Toprak has to, of course, immediately react and uh, m- advance uh, with the ball. But uh, if that happens, if that doesn't happen immediately, then the 
uh, chance is gone and uh, you have to play it safe. Uh, what what pr- probably doesn't help, and I mean, Hummels uh, could work around it because he can play the outside of the boot passes uh, beautifully. Um, Toprak not so much. Is that Toprak is a, is a um, has to place most of the power, place plenty of his passes out of the of the right foot, um, which means that when he steps up, um, sure he has to basically break his hip sometimes, um, which is something our, our center backs have uh, struggle as well with. I mean, Pavard, Stuttgart, for instance, also uh, a right footer uh, on the left side, and he also he he plays some beautiful outside the boot passes, but of course it limits a little bit of your options because it takes uh, a moment or a little bit longer to play the pass uh, if you don't if you play it that way. And of course, you have to have the right body position, body posture uh, to really play it. Uh, or else you slip and uh, there's nothing you could do then or uh, with a wink, but uh, you break your hip basically. <laughs> that shouldn't happen. Um, yeah, so I'm sure there, there are a lot of factors playing in. Yeah, we shall definitely keep an eye on that um, because his... Uh passing rate you know the amount of forward passes in 2015-16 for example were around 60 per 90 the next season were 45 or 46 per 90 and now right now we're seeing it around 37 per 90 and uh, you know it's it's uh, with with the total passes overall like went from 92 per 90 minutes to 55 right now over the course of three seasons so i guess it's definitely quite the difference in, in Weigel's game, especially, um, you know, with the factoring in how Peter Bosch utilized him. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's certainly something to keep an eye on. Um, on that note, Lars, who do you think has the most evil look in the team? <laughs> uh, probably Socrates. Uh, he's actually being overrated because of his, dogged determination in his eyes at times, uh, which makes people think he's this ultra-aggressive hardo warrior kind of defender, which he at his best at times is, but more often than not is not. Uh, but obviously you are alluding to Hans-Joachim Watzke's latest appearance on a football talk show, which is kind of uh, a monthly thing, at least it feels like, uh, and him saying he wants a bad guy in midfield and for reasons entirely unbeknownst to me, the example he came up with was Xabi Alonso, who is, I mean, he was a bit of a dick, let's be honest, but more than that, uh, Xabi Alonso was a fantastic football player. So uh, getting someone like him will be difficult because uh, he, he maybe had a bad look in his eyes at times, but he was also a fantastic football player who won the Champions League with Liverpool and with Real Madrid uh, came close with Bayern. So it's not like those players are often available for a club like Dortmund. Yeah, Matthias, what do you make of the statement that Watzke wants someone who basically can, I don't know, who who just makes every opponent enter a world of pain when they're trying to get past them? I, I don't really know what to think of quotes like that when when I, to to me that's just populism but doesn't really bring i don't know it doesn't really do much for me what what do you make of i don't know appearances like Watzke had and his great uh, median offensive as we say in germany well i mean it's a it's a pr push um you know because Dortmund have <clears throat> rightfully and wrongfully uh, been criticized this season for you know managerial appointments or player recruitment stuff like that i think it's more an attitude thing. I mean, I remember one 
Yellow Wall episode we recorded a long time ago. It's been about two seasons ago. Uh, I think I said sometimes you just need somebody out there who'll kick someone um, versus just being a choir boy all the time. I do believe that. I don't believe in the total enforcer type. But in you, if you think back to the successful campaigns Dortmund had, which now unfortunately are a few seasons ago, you still had a player like Sven Benda when he was healthy or Sebastian Kiel when he was healthy that was kind of that enforcer-ish type player, though never, you know, never dirty or overly aggressive or overly physical. But I think that type of player is honestly missing who does have that physicality because... Weigel is a great ball distributor, especially, you know, if you're going side to side. Uh, his positional play is good. His pressing in general is good. But you definitely cannot say he's a physical presence uh, in midfield. And you can't say the same for Kagawa or Götze. Um, they're, they're not, or even Dahut, who I don't know if we'll still get to. But that physical presence in there to occasionally get in, get the ball, win it back, in a more physical way, is something that Dortmund is lacking, or at least doesn't have. We can argue whether or not they need it, but I think that's more that that's what I thought of when those comments came out. I immediately thought of uh, Mani Benda and Sebastian Kiel. Yeah, I mean Dortmund uh, obviously did not really voluntarily sell Sven Bender, but uh, you know the the entire discussion more or less pivots around the fact that Dortmund at some point. Just, you know, they, they were putting their eggs in the footballing quality basket because they wanted to be a possession based side and wanted to have more technical players in midfield so they can pass the ball around more cleanly. And, uh, as good as Kiel and Bender were, they were maybe not sufficiently skilled for these sort of roles that Dortmund required and uh, as you know if, if I understand Mr. Watzke correctly then uh, they are trying to revert that development a little bit this summer so they are calling it adjustments we'll, we'll see um Matthias but does, does he know that Thomas Carverson retired in 2000 <laughs> I don't know maybe he's also dreaming of Mark van Bommel or so um but we will see also Matthias retired. um yeah also retired but um Mark John Davis has asked me to ask uh, about what our thoughts are on Roman Bürki right now. I would say he is definitely having a bit of a dip in form. Um, in the 13th minute, I think it was, where uh, Toprak passed the ball back to him after Tolian made a complete mess of an initial back pass that Bürki clearance, let's call it this way, uh, landed at the feet of Wallace or Wallacey, I don't know how to pronounce his name. And then, uh, yeah, it was an open net scenario yet again. And uh, don't worry, lucky that Wallace isn't Niels Petersen. Um, so I'll go to you first, Matthias. Um, Roman Bürki will, of course, uh, not Roman Bürki, Roman Weidenfeller will, of course, retire after the season. Do you think uh, Dortmund right now should bet on Roman Bürki being the number one goalkeeper? Or do you think at the moment they should actually think of maybe uh, trying to sign another one, another number one goalkeeper and change the strategy. What's your opinion on that? Well, my opinion is Dortmund have significantly bigger issues than Roman Bürki. Um, that's, that's my opinion. I've had a few debates about that where people say, no, he's the number one issue. I personally think that's false, to put it politely. If we go to that exact situation, 
it's not surprising that his clearance happened the way it did because the the meal that Tolian produced and honestly Topak produced, he did Buki no favors in playing the ball to him in that situation with an on-rushing Hamburg player putting him under immense pressure and he just had to get rid of the ball because it would have been significantly worse if he would have been caught in possession in that moment um so in that situation i personally having also played keeper and having knowing a few keepers that's i don't put the blame on buki in that situation the ball should never have come to him this the problems and the mistakes happened significantly earlier uh i if i was investing 20 30 million or 40 million euros in an individual player it for Dortmund next season, it would not be in the keeper position right now. It would be, you know, in the four positions directly in front of him, uh, simply because, you know, that situation could have been averted if Tolian was a better fullback or if the pass hadn't have been one of those panicked, quickly give it back to the keeper uh, so that I don't have to deal with it uh, situation. So my opinion... Yeah, Buki is not as good this... He hasn't had as good a season this year as last season, uh, where last season, arguably, he was the second, if not, you know, maybe third best keeper in the Bundesliga. Um, so maybe this season he's, what, fifth or sixth? I don't see a ton of keepers significantly better than him. Uh, even, you know, other keepers, like, that people always talk about how good they are. I mean, Ralf Fehrmann has produced a couple of bad performances lately. Timo Hahn's been up and down. We know Bernd Leno is always good for a mistake. So in, in that situation, I just don't think that's the the A1 issue that the club really needs to worry about at this time. If a significantly, and I mean significantly better, keeper comes available at a decent price, yeah, why not think about it? Well, in a, in a vacuum, I would say, okay, maybe Dortmund can find a better keeper or, or should look out for a better keeper. But, you know, in reality, who's actually out there they can afford and that actually makes sense to purchase that will be actually an upgrade over Roman Birki. We mustn't forget. I think last was Roman Birki the, the best player of, of last season or was it the second best on, on the yellow wall official award winning player? Well, I wasn't appointed statistician for that uh, award show, but I do. Well, you, I do you, think, you're the one with all the intricate Excel files, so uh, I do think we uh, a majority of votes made him player of the season. So, but I don't exactly remember if that was entire season or maybe second half of the year. But it doesn't really matter. He was really good last season. I think we can all agree on that, and he hasn't come close really to hit those heights, especially when you factor in the catastrophic uh, Champions League campaign he had. Uh, he basically cost Dortmund points uh, against Apoel, for example, which, you know, is a big deal. He wasn't great against Tottenham in the first game, which kind of set Dortmund uh, on the wrong track for the group stage, but uh, doesn't really matter to me. I think Birki's plenty good enough on his good days, the the only thing I could see Dortmund going for another strong candidate to play a lot of games, not to call him a, a number one as well, uh, is because I think there's there's an argument to be made at least that Birki isn't consistent enough uh, after three years at Dortmund and maybe 
I, I could see them going for someone who maybe isn't as flashy as Berkey on a good day is, but offers perhaps a more consistent baseline performance. And I'm even going to give a name, and that is uh, Frankfurt's Lukas Radetzky. Uh, he's out of contract in the summer, so they wouldn't have to pay a fee for him. I think they could get away with him as, you know, a, a strong number two for maybe one year because he's not made a lot of uh, money playing uh, in smaller leagues and then for Frankfurt for, I think, two seasons. So uh, if if they want to go that route and add a strong second goalkeeper and, and figure out who's playing the majority of matches, uh, you know, after training camp or whatever then someone like that would make the most sense in my opinion because he already knows the Bundesliga and doesn't cost uh, a transfer fee because as Matthias alluded to, there are bigger fish to fry on the transfer market than figuring out the goalkeeper position for Dortmund. Okay, then uh, because it's been brought up recently, um, I'm just going to throw it out there. Konstantin, do you think Dortmund should go for Kevin Trapp, who is right now second choice at PSG? Yeah or nay? Uh, nay. All right. I guess that uh, sort of wraps up uh, the uh, goalkeeper discussion. Um, maybe a couple of notes on uh, Michi Batroi. Again, I thought he had a very good game, Matthias. Uh, how do you... I, I, I asked at the first news conference after he was signed what he can do better than Aubameyang. Um, after two games, um, Matthias, what can he do better than Aubameyang? Work as a team. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously he's, uh, his work rates higher, uh, he drops back in a better fashion also with, in terms of link up play physically is one of the big differences. He actually gets in, gets stuck in and wins the ball back, which I don't really recall Obama Young doing successfully or ever personally. I, I may be totally wrong on that, but that's, Honestly, one of the biggest things I've noticed right away from Bachuai is he'll just go in, knock the player off the ball, get the ball, and and recycle the possession, which isn't really something I was used to seeing from a Dortmund striker in the last few seasons. Yeah, what I really liked about his performance against Hamburg <laughs> that he had like one or two, maybe even three moments where Dortmund were on a transition on a counter and he held up the ball pretty well for just one or two seconds. I mean, not for long, but just just long enough for everyone else to actually get into a position where they can receive the ball and you know give his teammates the time to to make the run. Um, Lars, do you think this is something that really helps Peter Sugar out? Because uh, as I already mentioned, Dortmund create their most chances on the transition. Yeah, I mean, obviously it, it it's a help if your central striker can do more than wait in the box. Uh, to finish those moves, but I would uh, pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, the public discussion uh, about this exchange between Aubameyang and Batshuayi centering on Batshuayi being so much better in so many things, but uh, I think we we should all remember that Aubameyang has been a prolific player for half a decade if we include his final season at Saint-Étienne and there's a reason Batshuayi was available for uh, a minimal loan fee uh, at this point in his career so while I like what I've seen from him and I actually wanted to, uh, Dortmund to sign him regardless of Aubameyang leaving uh, you know in the summer last season and uh, a few other times before uh, it 
to me, it's a bit premature to declare him a so much better fit and so much better player than Aubameyang is. I mean, uh, when, when he scores 20 goals, basically falling out of bed at, at, in the middle of the night, then we can talk about that. No, sure. But I'm, I'm just trying to give this whole thing a positive spin. Let's put it this way. Um, Constantine, anything else to cover from that Hamburg game or should we move on? Uh, I guess we can to the Euroleague. I guess we can move on. I mean, but uh, we talked about uh, we we covered Berkey, covered uh, defensive uh, issues. We covered Bajorai, um with two who we shouldn't get too used to, uh, since he will leave in summer. So, <laughs> all right. I, I yeah, I think that's a general rule for Dortmund fans: just do not get attached whatsoever. Just get attached to the club, but not the players. Um, Matthias. You told me that you have to leave and take care of some urgent problems. Yeah, business calls, unfortunately, that I, I can't ignore. So I, I have to scoot out. All right. So um, that's one way to make excuses for not wanting to talk about the EuroLeague. Maybe you're just like uh, Akanji, who asked, who was asked uh, about Batrai being picked over him for the EuroLeague squad. And he was like, yeah, I only play in the Champions League. <laughs> Pretty cool dude. I already like him. He was really nice in the mix zone, which is the most important criteria, of course. So, um, as Matthias Luke only call, uh, talks about the Champions League, I will see you out now. Where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, at Matthias Suk. So it's M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S-S-U-U-C-K. All right. Thanks, Matthias. And I guess then we can turn our attention to Thursday night, 7 p.m. kickoff local time. And um, I must say, I have not seen a single minute of Atalanta so far this season. All right, may may maybe like two or three minutes, but nothing really um, Yeah, that could merit an analysis. So Lars, I will hand over the reins to you and uh, maybe talk us through that opponent since you watch way more Serie A than I do. Well, shame on you, uh, then, Stefan, because it's a great league with traditional clubs. And actually, Atalanta are probably one of the two or three best to watch sides in Italy. Obviously, number one being Napoli this season, who are awesome. And, and just, uh, as a first thing about Atalanta, uh, they beat that Napoli side at home, uh, earlier in January. And then that was in the cup, uh, flew back to Bergamo. Uh, and three days later beat Roma at Roma. Uh, so that tells you something about the quality of that side. Uh, it may be easy to overlook them because they are only, I think, eighth in the Serie A standings. Uh, and it's not one of those huge clubs. It's not uh, a Milan club. It's not Lazio. It's not Juventus, Napoli or whatever. But, uh, thanks to, uh, their head coach, Gian Piero Gasparini and some clever recruitment they've been able to uh, do better than other sides uh, that went into Europe over the last few years for example Sassuolo uh, when they lost players uh, and now the head coach who went to Roma uh, they basically uh, went off the grid in Serie A and Atalanta basically where they were last season for the most part it's just that other teams like Milan for example have improved a little bit in terms of their standing in the table so repeating this European adventure will be difficult for them but uh, just to illustrate how good they are they won their Europa League group uh, ahead, ahead of uh, Lyon who were in the semi-finals last season have a really 
talented, interesting squad and uh, ahead of Everton who paid around 200 million euros, I think, for new players in the summer. Uh, so that tells you also some things about the quality of this team. And the fact that makes them so easy on the eye, if you like, is that it's finally one team uh, facing Dortmund that actually relishes having the ball. Uh, they play a really interesting 3-4-3 shape or 3-5-2. I think in Italy they always call it the 3-4-3, so I guess we'll go with that. But it's not the typical, uh, you know, focus on organization and all that. It's really more interesting to watch just because they like having the ball. They have an, a lot of interesting players have been able to replace uh, key figures who left over the last uh, 12 months, basically, with uh, Gagliardini going to Inter and Cassier and Conti going to Milan in the summer. And they've not really missed a beat. Uh, and that, I think, uh, is a quality that uh, our listeners as Dortmund fans can probably appreciate that a team being able to replace key figures leaving is always something that that you can look at and learn something from maybe so i i do believe that dortmund just in terms of inter individual quality if they take these games seriously should be able to advance to the next round but the entire atalanta story is, is a really interesting one to follow and and watching them is just much more uh, entertaining than you would think of a mid table side in, in italy yeah i i i Personally, I have the feeling that Atalanta are the favorites in this tie over two legs. What's your view on that? Yeah, as I just said, I think Dortmund should be able to uh, make it out of this stage if they take it seriously enough, just because there's a clear advantage in, in class and quality uh, in Dortmund's favor. But uh, given Dortmund's struggles in the Bundesliga this season and Champions League football being uh, nowhere close to being guaranteed for next season... And also the Europa League being really tough to win this year with uh, not only Dortmund dropping down, but also Napoli and Atletico and a few other teams that were already in the competition. It's not like uh, Dortmund have a clear path towards winning the Europa League and, and completing the, the trophy set. So they might just be like, you know, let's let's not focus on the Europa League too much. And, and then certainly Atalanta are the kind of team that has enough quality to beat them over two legs. Uh, but if Dortmund uh, take these games seriously, play with close to their best 11s, I do believe they should be considered favorites. All right. Um, Constantine, any standout players in that Atalanta side that Dortmund really have to keep an eye on? Ilicic, for example, springs to mind as someone who can whip in really great set pieces and uh, takes good free kicks. That's a quality Dortmund do not possess right now. I don't know, maybe maybe with Royce being back, but I don't even remember the last time Dortmund took a direct free kick. Never mind. Um, Probably the one uh, one young uh, free kick against Mainz uh, no, about, no, about no. 20 years ago. Uh, Stefan, we actually saw Marco Royce score a free kick. Guerrero. That was against Cologne. Yeah, and, and Schmelzer also like, scored one in the cup last season, so... Wow, we're we're so uh that's just such a Bl such a great with, statistic here. Blessed with just quick, so blessed. quick magician. Yeah, totally. Um anywho, uh Atalanta key players who, who to watch Constantine. Uh yeah, sure. Elitish. Uh Papu Gomez is uh, injured, so um he's their most gifted center forward. Not Andreas Corneus, who was some uh, at some time uh, a few years ago uh rumored to be on no, Dortmund's shortlist uh, when Dortmund once again was uh, looking for another center forward. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think Purple Gomez might be injured or he's still injured. Um, other than that, uh, Caldero, their young, gifted uh, center forward from, from Juventus, um, is injured as well. Center and back, center back, not center forward. What, what did I say? Yeah, center back. Uh, Caldero, um, is, is injured as well. I think they both have, I, I know that Purple Gomez has back problems, so it's not really clear when he will return. It, you know, that can be a nagging one that can, uh, disappear you never know really um because it's very vague um what you read uh as far as reports go um yeah other than that i i think what what really uh stands out is how the like the potential midfield triangle there interacts through cristante and foiler um it's not that they have like one key player um there but um shuts the interaction how they how, how they let the Ball circulate. That's that's pretty pretty decent. Pretty good actually. Um, one of the few sites in the Serie A that really um, puts emphasis on um, possession football, and yeah, that's that's something to keep in mind. Um, the question for Dortmund, especially defensively, will be uh, whether or if they will you know be intense and aggressive with their pressing and move up. Um, pretty much, you know, it, um, pressuring the free center backs, um, and even moving up, um, Tolian and Piszczek against, uh, Hatabor and Spinazzola. Um, who knows? That could, that may be the, um, the option, uh, for Stöger, but, um, they could also be a bit more hesitant and pr- try to shut down, uh, as, as many passing lanes as possible, um, which might, be the smarter option i'm i'm not sure it, it, it depends a little bit i will i think it could be decided within the first 10 minutes or so because it will be decided how how much of the At- At- atalanta we will see um compared to what uh, atlanta atalanta plays in in the Serie A. it's just a little bit you know you never know if gasparini will will make some adjustments uh because um it's it's europa league because it's it's a different environment sometimes um and, and coaches tend to uh, for whatever reason um just change stuff i, I when they play internationally uh, compared to their domestic appearance um i don't know we will see um, but yeah, there's, there's, uh, Ilicic, if Papu Gom is really injured, Ilicic is the one key player. Although I have to say, yeah, he is, he's a great set piece taker, a great free kicker. Um, as a number 10, he is all right. Um, he is all right. Um, at Atalanta system is above individuals. It's just, um, the, what's, what's makes them, what makes them so exciting. Um, and, and of course, their possession. They have, they like possession style football and something that's not common in Serie A, nor in the Bundesliga. Yeah, that is very true. And uh, I do wonder how Dortmund can exploit that as they are turning more and more into a team that uh, plays on a transition, especially if they win the ball over close to the halfway line or maybe even a little bit deeper in the opposing half, which uh, usually as I already said, has is, is di- dictated by chaos because Dortmund fall back quite deep if they do not have the ball and uh, go back very passively. But every now and then there are pressing sequences where they counter-press and actually regain possession and then recycle it pretty quickly. Um, Peter Sugar wasn't really clear whether Marco Royce can start in that game or whether he will feature. Um, Marco Royce, uh, Marco Royce, Mario Götze today trained 
quite well. So he looks uh, like he will be fit and, and ready to play in this one. Um, also no diagnosis yet on Shinji Kagawa, who uh, has, I think, issues with his foot. Shuka said it didn't look too good. And the same thing with uh, Rafael Guerrero. Uh, he might also be out for a while. Sugar definitely said it's not going to be, uh, yeah, he's not gonna be fit for this week at any point. So he will definitely miss the next two games. Um, but Dortmund fans can be hopeful that Marcel Schmelzer returns. There's definitely a chance that he is already fit and ready to play for Thursday. So I just assume that by the latest against Gladbach, he will play. Um, last, If you look at Toyan's last performances, is he a candidate to stay in the lineup? Or do you think when Marcel Schmelzer is fit to play, he will play and <coughs> Toyan goes back to the bench? Well, typically when your team captain is back uh, in action and available for selection, I, I'm assuming he will start over the right back who's helping out on the left side. Uh, if Schmelzer plays against Atalanta, I wouldn't be too surprised to see Torian on the right side and Pischek given a break just because of age and previous injury history uh, but overall but I do think that Torian has developed decently under Stöger I think there's no question that the starting fullbacks will be Pischek and Schmelzer uh, when they are both available it's just uh, both quality experience and also you know the their role for the entire team's tactical approach to games, I think is too important. And Torian also, uh, offers some nice, uh, dynamism off the bench. You could use, you could actually see him play as a winger in one of these games because of the, uh, somewhat dire personal situation in that spot. So, uh, I think Torian is, is, more of a bench player for this Dortmund side than, you know, a real opponent for starting time against Marcel Schmelzer when he's healthy. Yeah, I, I agree. Maybe there was some crazy thought in you that you uh, maybe thought that Toyan deserved to occupy that left back spot for longer now after the start of the Rückrunde. Um, I guess that means we can move on to predictions for this game. I'll start and I'll say it's going to be a one-all draw. Konstantin? Um, close win, uh, 2-1. So the, uh, Atlanta will get the very important, costly uh, away goal. And last but not least. Yeah, I think the tie will definitely be decided in the second leg. I don't see a clear result for either side on Thursday. I am going with Konstantin's prediction of a close 2-1 win for Dortmund. All right. And with that, I guess we can move on to Borussia Mönchengladbach who Dortmund will face on Sunday night or, you know, 6 p.m. It's going to be very late when I get home, at least. So um, they are right now in 10th. They only won one out of the uh, last five games for losses in the league. And um, yeah, I, I saw them play against Stuttgart and I got to say, I really am not impressed. Um, the reverse fixture, Borussia Dortmund 6-1 win was uh, sort of the symbol for... Peter Bosch's style, I guess, with Dortmund were really, really dominant. And uh, in this case, actually had a resounding win. However, this game could have easily gone into the other direction because Gladbach also had very, very good chances. And maybe the game would have taken another course had they not been so wasteful or uh, Roman Böcki so strong in, in this game. Konstantin, now with Stuttgart at the helm, 
I personally do not expect another seven goal thriller. What sort of game do you expect to play out at the Borussia Park on Sunday? Oh yeah, I expect a close one um, as well. So Gladbach are struggling um, because they they can't bring or they can't put a, a decent build up together. Um, just uh, just shown uh, where they played at Stuttgart and f and lost. Well, um, that they are really prone to turning the ball over, um, being isolated on the rings, um, getting Janschke right back in unfavorable positions. So um, there's there's probably something Dortmund can do um, to expose and exploit these weaknesses. And uh, but it won't be like a wash or something. It, it won't be like Dortmund will run away with the match. But um, I I actually see Dortmund winning this one um, since it it just fits together so beautifully that uh Gladbach has really problems um and issues to um get something going um offensively and uh Dortmund gets better improves uh in terms of defending and pressing so it could be something like that and right now also I mean Gladbach has has a lot of or uh, several um options personal wise um in you know on the rings and uh and up front um But hacking is really capable of just choosing their own players um, more often than not. So um, it's uh, it's kind of interesting to see what what they do. Uh, maybe he tries to fix uh, some of the issues, some of the recent issues, and uh, brings on uh, or brings bring back the uh, back five, back three, back five um, to give more leverage um, to to Elvedi and and Ginter and. You know, put some uh, lift some of the weight of of uh, Janschke's shoulders. Uh, but since I don't really see who the other wing back could be, maybe Hermann. Uh, but that didn't work out against Frankfurt. So yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see what what Gladbach does. Um, since Dortmund is uh, won't surprise anyone with the tactical approach. It's all about Gladbach and what Hacking chooses to do. Well, usually Dieter Ecking is also not the sort of coach that surprises anyone. However, this season Gladbach are somewhat of a bag of surprises. Last, they are a team that beat Bayern Munich at home. Um, you know, it's fair to say they could have also lost that game, but uh, nevertheless, they got the result. Not a lot of teams did this so far this season. So um, do you think that all of a sudden Gladbach... Uh, show some extraordinary football maybe also trying to get back for uh the yeah terrible loss earlier this this season or um do you think this will be i don't know just a, a normal gritty bundesliga match with gladbach being as i don't know troubled as they have been in the last couple of games well having seen all of peter stöger's matches as dortmund coach i am somewhat inclined to go with the latter for strange reasons uh there hasn't been a great game of football uh, since he took over i wouldn't uh i i, I can't confidently say that uh, any one of these games was really great to watch even those with more goals like the freiburg or the cologne match uh that was some dire stuff uh especially from dortmund um the thing with gladbach as you said they they were uh, capable of producing some really memorable performances and especially in the first half of the season I always kind of liked watching them uh, I always felt that they were one of the more interesting teams just in terms of the personnel on the pitch and that might just be the case as well uh, against Dortmund on Sunday I mean Gladbach are a team that could conceivably play with uh, Raphael, Lars Stindl, 
äh, Zorgan, Aza, äh, Zakaria, Cuisance. Äh, I mean, that's that's really interesting quality for, you know, not one of the top three or four sides in the Bundesliga. So it, it takes a special manager to make that into a boring uh, side. And I guess that's the calling card of one Dieter Hacking that even that much individual quality can look so, uh, I don't know uh, how to put it, can look so boring, basically, uh, as they seem to have in the last few weeks. I actually haven't, I, I, I don't think I've seen much of Gladbach in 2018, but I've, I've listened to you guys slag them off just now. So, uh, I don't think the game in the first half of the season will have any bearing on this. Uh, Gladbach need a win just to get out, out of the rut and also to get back into the hunt for European places. So uh, they shouldn't need any extra motivation. And with Dortmund coming off uh, a European fixture on Thursday, Gladbach having the whole week off, I could see that being a more difficult fixture than recent performances and recent results would suggest. And one last thing, I just can already picture... Uh, one of Vestergaard and Ginter celebrating the la the late one-one uh, equalizer after set piece uh, with Dortmund failing to put away the game with the one or two chances on the counter they will arguably get. Yeah, the thing really is, if I look at Dortmund playing away to Cologne and now home to Hamburg, I am not really inspired by those performances where I would confidently said, well, they can now go out to Gladbach and uh, get three points just because. Um, their own possession game doesn't really, you know, the the only the only straw of hope that I see is really their game in, in transition, as Konstantin already said. But when they have the ball and need to create something for themselves, I just don't see anything that they can do. And then uh, Gladbach themselves are a team that are also quite okay on the transition. And um, yeah, set pieces is definitely a danger, and Dortmund do allow. And give away silly set pieces sometimes. So looking at you, Julian Weigel here. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I feel like Dortmund could definitely win this game, but, um, the, the problem is they haven't really impressed. And what I didn't like, and, and Stuttgart did this too on the weekend that when after they took the lead in the fourth minute, they became more and more passive. And, uh, you know, eventually Gladbach created a couple of chances and, um, Dortmund did the same thing against uh, Hamburg in the second half, definitely where they sort of dropped off and, and more played on the counter-attack. And I just don't think that's a very good strategy, even if Dortmund take the lead and, you know, have a have a narrow 1-0 lead, for example, then I just don't think in the second half or so if they are trying to sit on it that this will work out. I mean, we've seen it now twice against Cologne where they went ahead and then conceded because they became complacent, stale, whatever you want to call it. And um I just don't see where a change from that sort of thing would come now. Just just don't see it. So um yeah, I don't know. But I, I'll still predict the Dortmund win just because Gladbach were even more uninspiring on Sunday, I think it was. Yeah, it was Sunday. So yeah, I, I just say Dortmund will get the ugly two one win. Lars, what's your prediction? Yeah, as I said, uh, one of Westergaard and Ginter will score a late equalizer, uh, turning a game. Dortmund arguably should have won into a one-all draw. And Konstantin? <clears throat> a close one as well. Um, say, uh, 2-1. All right. And with that, I guess we can knock it on the head for 
this week and will be back, I guess, next Tuesday or so. Lars, where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, they can do that at Lars Polman, and I'm too tired to spell that out for you, as Matthias did earlier. <laughs> It's fine. You can find it on the show notes on yellowworldpod.com. Konstantin, where can people follow you on Twitter? At cc underscore eckner. Wunderbar. Thanks, you guys, for joining. You can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find my written stuff on ESPNFC and all of our written stuff on yellowworldpod.com. And by all of us, I more or less just mean Lars. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there you can also find the ways to subscribe to our podcast, which is iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you want to contribute financially, then please do that on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And uh, yeah, that should be all for now. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.